Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer in Dolby and the John Wick 4 trailer in Dolby. I had no actual desire to see the film. I just wanted to see these trailers of actually good sound design. But the frustrating part was I arrived late. So when I was walking in, the Wakanda Forever trailer was already playing. Now, I didn't miss much of it. I literally sat down like when the Marvel Studio logo appears in the trailer. So I got most of that trailer. But Bullet Train is a Sony movie. So the last two trailers are going to be Sony. No matter what, whatever studio it's from, those trailers are going to be last. Whatever. But then other than that, they always go alphabetically. Which means that since I walked in during the Marvel Studios trailer, the Lionsgate trailer would have been before it. My point is, is I did not get the John Wick 4 trailer. And I was very upset with it because... This is such a like niche thing for Danny to complain about, but if I worked at a movie theater, I would have fun like programming trailers, like in the sense that like there are like, I feel like, you know, like how there's programmers for like, like repertory theaters. I feel like I'd have a fun time being at a normal theater programming trailers because, okay, I understand like contractually speaking, you have to put the Sony trailers last, but the idea that you open up presumably with John Wick 4 and Black Panther, and then you go on to like trailers for smile and the invitation and bad looking horror movies okay smile's a sony movie but like the invitation why would you start with john mcfort and black panther and then go down to all these smaller movies afterwards (laughs) to punish people punish you for being late but like no because they want me to keep coming back to the movie theater and if they want me to come back to the movie theater then you show me like the good product (laughs) you know if i had to like rationalize that and i don't know what the people were thinking But that might be a good thing to get people in the seats so they're not walking in. If they're, like, out getting concessions or whatever, you don't want to start with Smile or something like that. And then people are like, well, okay, it's time for me to go get popcorn for ten minutes. And then they, like, miss the beginning of the movie or they come back in and they're, like, stepping on other people. So maybe... I think you're thinking of the, like... I think that's the past. I think we are beyond that point in metropolitan cities because we have reserved seats. So people arrive ten minutes late anyway now. You know, like, it does not, to me, it's like, I rushed to see Bullet Train to try to get, I missed probably just the John Wick trailer, honestly, because I can't think of another, like, a studio that is alphabetically before Lionsgate, besides A24, which I don't believe has a trailer that would be with Bullet Train. So, like, it's just, like, frustrating, because it's like, I want to watch, and I know it's, like, such, like, a personal problem, it's like, man, I want to see the John Wick 4 trailer, or that I can watch at home, but, like, why else would I bother to see Bullet Train opening weekend? Like, what is my motivation to rush out the seat in a, PL, a premium format? <laughs> well, I mean, that's I guess that's kind of an AMC thing, because it definitely is. I remember when I saw Seven Samurai at the film forum, I don't think there were any trailers. The movie just started, like, on well, the dot at Seven. Repertory and I know that's an art house thing. Though. I think repertory screenings are different anyway. Because uh, I know the music box generally will... Also, yeah, Art House thing is, like, they'll always just program their movies by when the, the trailers by when the movie is scheduled to come out, you know? So it's like, oh, this is coming out next week, so we'll put the trailer up first. But beyond that, I don't think there's really any rhyme or reason. My thing is more, is like, if we're going to get nine trailers in the sitting now, which is what happens at pretty much any big movie at AMC, you should program your trailers so that way it's not like we're starting off with the big guns and then moving on. I know this is, like, again, this is, like, the most niche thing I've ever complained about, but, like, I feel like it's legit, because unlike Black Panther, which, like, again, we talked about that actually last, well, no, we talked about that next week. Uh, (laughs) We'll get into that, don't worry. Uh, I don't mind the Black Panther trailer, because I assume that will be attached to anything, but the John Wick trailer, I have a feeling, will only be with Bullet Train for a while, (laughs) so that's why I was like, come on, because I don't know if you saw the John Wick trailer, but it's very much a tease, and it's like, well, we could put this with Bullet Train, because Bullet Train's from the director of the first John Wick. 
But like other than that, no. I don't really. I feel like Lionsgate has other movies to prioritize in their marketing. Well, now I didn't actually know that. I'm so that's Chad. Train? No, Chad is the good. <laughs> Chad is the good one. David Leitch is the bad director of John Wick. Okay, that's I was gonna like. No way, the director of John Wick is responsible no, for Bullet Train. He's been writing on the director of John Wick since his second movie, which is Atomic Blonde. Oh, okay. And the thing is, you know, I enjoyed it actually more than I pretty. I've enjoyed most of his films that aren't the first John Wick. But I'm really tired of this dead pulification of like every original movie we have out there. I don't know what you mean. It's all like, oh, let's wink at the camera and make this joke about how this stuff normally happens, and let's do these crazy joke flashbacks that kind of are Family Guy cutaways. I guess I see, like, no, I know what you mean. I can't think of any examples, though. The other director's other movie, which is the Hobbs and Shaw movie, which I know you don't watch Fast and Furious, but that movie's way more Deadpool than uh, <laughs> any oh, other Oh, well, Fast maybe this is a movie. Thomas Leach problem. David And Leach, I've just yes. avoided his... T- David Leach. I did a double David feature Leach. yesterday of David Leach and David Lynch, yes. <laughs> Wow. Before we were on, uh, I said I went to see Lost Highway yesterday as well. My thing with it is I describe it as uh, actually Deadpool 2, because it has the Deadpool 2 action and tone, meets Knives Out, because it's kind of like a star-studded mystery thing. My overtake on it is like, even if I don't like Bullet Train, I would like movies like it to hypothetically do well, because it's an original movie that's being sold on just actors and action. That said, it costs $90 million, and I watched the movie, I'm like, where did this money go? Because I don't, I, the only person is that seems expensive is Brad Pitt. Before you say Sandra yeah. Bullock, she's in it for like two minutes, so. I just don't understand, like, why people really care about it. Because I always thought of it as like a way for Brad Pitt to make money for some reason. I don't know Brad Pitt's life, but like, that movie has never looked good. So I don't know, like, uh, what people I, were expecting. I was optimistic I've seen all it. this press about it. I was optimistic for it until the trailer draft. Because I thought, oh, cool, like, a uh, star-studded thing that looks like it's clearly... Because the plot to me on paper, if it didn't have the tone it has, is really cool. It's like, we got all these stars, they're all playing assassins that are on a train trying to kill each other and get the same thing. I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. But, one, it's more an annoying comedy than anything else. And, two, it's two hours and ten minutes long when it should be, like, a brisk 100 minutes. And, three, I think it being 90 yeah, million dollars yeah, is 90 million. Uh, I just think it gets too big, and I think it's too dumb. It's just annoying, because if it was a... F- I don't I don't want it to be like John Wick. I don't even want it to be Deadpool. I want it to be like fast, a normal Fast and Furious movie in tone, with all these actors playing fun characters. Also, I'll be real, a lot of the actors that are marketed to be a big part of the movie are in it for two minutes and get, are immediately killed. Mm. It's just like a bummer See, in that, that regard. The best part of it is Brian Tyree I... Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, I think that we'll never see this movie, but I kind of wish it was more like the scene in Deadpool where they do meet all the people and then Brad Pitt's actually one of them. Or I don't actually know what movie I'm thinking of. No, that's it in Deadpool exists, too. Think, There's a scene like that in Deadpool too. Where... Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> that's I know that's in Deadpool too, but I'm thinking like if you were to read the synopsis of Bullet Train, what you want is for it to be like he has to fight his way through a train and in every car... There's so a, like more. There's a more famous person. Yeah, there's two yeah, cameras yeah. and bullets. Snowpiercer, train. but every tr- yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Snowpiercer, but instead of all them in the beginning, everyone is like a big cameo, and at the end, it's like Ed Helms, and then you do, kill him. Do you think I can spoil? <laughs> you mean Ed Harris? Not Ed Helms. Oh, Ed Helms. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different. I, well, that seems like a Lord Miller like niche film bro in joke. They make a ripoff of Snowpiercer, and at the end, it's Ed Helms. 
By the time this episode comes out, I can mildly spoil Bullet Train, right? Like a cameo, right? You think that'd be alright? You can spoil Bullet Train now. Skip ahead like three minutes, guys, if you don't want to hear Bullet Train spoilers. So it has a cameo in it that to me, com- and I both intend the pun and I don't intend the pun, but there is a cameo that's a split second long that completely derails the third act because I just keep, like, as soon as it happened, I started thinking, like, why would you pick that actor to cameo in that role? That is a terrible choice, like a distractingly bad choice for this cameo, and it makes no sense. Beginning of the third act, Brad Pitt's character, the joke of him is that he has terribly bad luck. And Michael Shannon's the head gangster who, like, set, it's revealed, he set up the entire thing to get all these assassins on the train because he wanted to kill all of them in one spot. And he's like, here, like, here's my monologue on why each of you contributed to killing my wife and I want you all dead. So we get that big monologue and Brad Pitt's okay, like, okay, but what about me? I literally have no idea who you are, man. And yes, he says exactly like that because Michael Shannon responds with, do not call me man. Yes, he has a Russian accent in this movie. <laughs> and he's like, because you are the one who killed my wife in the car accident. You assassinated her. He's like, you are Carver. And then it's revealed, oh yeah, at the beginning of the movie, Brad Pitt said he was actually filling in for another assassin in his, like, agency. So my point is, we get a flashback to the guy who kills Michael Shannon's wife, Carver. And do you know who they cast for this one second cameo? Michael this Stuhlbarg. Is... No. <laughs> That's a I'm trying to make guess. less sense. Oh, I, I don't know. I thought you it's wanted me da- to guess. Okay, but it's like, a David Leitch film. It's an actor that David, David Leitch film. I learned actor- about this man like two minutes ago. It's Ryan Reynolds. It's just the worst thing to cast is a oh, more Lamau. stoic, badass. Like, it makes no sense to cast him as a more stoic, badass Brad Pitt. I immediately soon as it happened, yeah, I was they, like, they really what? are like playing each other's roles. Exactly. Like, the, the cameo would work if it's the other way around. Or like... I already made, I, I literally was talking about this yesterday with a friend. I was like, here's a list of cameos that would make more sense that they know that they could easily just put in front of a green screen for one day and it would make more sense. Keanu, obviously. The Rock, still funny. Jason Statham, that works too. Idris Elba, that works too. Charlie Theron, also works. All five of these make way more sense as your one-off cameo than Ryan Reynolds, who I immediately am like, why? <laughs> like, I cannot buy him as a more serious Brad Pitt. And I immediately yeah. was like, I could not get back in the movie for three minutes because I was just so confused by like how that was supposed to be like a cameo to make me laugh because if it was Keanu, it would have been funny, you know? But like, it's him. And it's like, what? Yeah. That's my bullet train rant. Would you like to do the letterbox? Should thing? we do games? Yes. All right. Before I recorded, Mark said 278 for the letterbox game. The letterbox game. Should I keep explaining this? Do you think they know it? <laughs> the listeners, or should I just explain I think. Yeah, just because each new because episodes have different reach, so each new episode might reach a new audience because Maybe not everyone's going to start at the beginning. One. So the letterbox. I think you sh- I think you should keep in- in- introducing it, but like you know, you can spice it up or you know, like I do that with it's the game. It's the letterbox game. It's a game where letterbox has a feature now. It's no longer recent, but they now have a feature where uh, it tells you algorithmically what the film you just watched is most related to the movie. Like, you know, like related films, algorithmically, whatever. <laughs> the Letterboxd game is I give Mark the top five movies that are most related to the movie. Uh, and they're all movies in the last month. It's a randomly generated movie. I remove films from the same franchise and films from the same director from the top five. After two guests, Mark gets the year. After those uh, guests, he gets two more movies. And if he can't get it on the seventh movie, he loses. All right, so you ready for your first one? I agree to the stakes. 
All right, your first film, five films are Singing in the Rain, Cover Girl, 42nd Street, Easter Parade, Chicago. It could really be like any musical that's American and kind of a blockbuster. Um, West Side Story? Oh, uh, which one? Oh, my God. Um, the old one? No, and the old one's not in the top 25. Can it? Can I guess the new one? I mean, sure, you want to. Yeah, I want to guess the new one. That's also not in the top 25. I was messing with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Neither of them are it. Uh, the year is 1953. An American in Paris? No, no, because I think that was also Stanley Donen, wasn't it? Mm, I don't believe it is, but I, I don't want to check right now. What I was going to say about it is that American in Paris is in the top 25. So, your next film you get is Oklahoma. Cabaret? No, and cabaret, cabaret is not in the top 25. So now I'll give you the seventh film, and then I got to recap for the listeners. Okay? Yes. So your final film is A Chorus Line. So the films are, it's a 1953 film, Singing in the Rain, Cover Girl, 42nd Street, Easter Parade, Chicago, Oklahoma, and A Chorus Line. Summer Stock? No. So American in Paris is close, and American in Paris came out in 1951. American in Paris... Oh wow! It's actually it was in the them. top five, but it is directed by the same director as this, Vincent Minnelli. So it was removed from the list. In 1953, one of the Snub Club films is indeed the Bandwagon. So it was the Bandwagon. Oh, okay. All right, your five films are Flushed Away, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, The Emperor's New Groove, Ice Age 2: The Meltdown. Which I think it's really funny. It's specifically that one, but whatever. And Over the Edge. <laughs> Did you go and watch Persepolis after we talked about it? Nope. Is it Curse of the Were-Rabbit? Because I think that had a different director. It is Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Yes, it is. You're correct. I had to remove Chicken Run from the list. Oh, okay. But yes, it is Curse of the... Yeah, Flushed Away has different directors because... I don't know. I, I gotta presume there were people working on the CGI trying to figure it out at Arden at the time. <laughs> you know? so they were... mm-hmm. All right. Good job. So then you have your last one. You ready for this last one? Yes. So... It, 2017, Oculus, Doctor Sleep, The Ring, The Haunting of Hill House. Literary horror films. It's, um, uh, was it The New Pet Cemetery? No, thank God, no. That's in the top 25, but I've seen that movie. It's not good. <laughs> mm. Not a good movie. Is it the original Salem's Lot? No, no, it's not. That's not in the top 25. All right. So this is fun. Your ear is going to be fun because it's the first time we've hit one of these movies. You ready for this? Okay. It's 2021 with an asterisk because that is the festival debut of this film, but I believe it did not release until this year because Letterboxd is really obnoxious where if it premieres at a festival, they put that as the year. Weird. Is it The Stand? No, it's not The Stand. The next movie you get is, and The Stand is not in the top 25. The next movie you get is something called The Prodigy, which I've never heard of. It's a 2019 movie. Am I close? I would say you're close, but I would not say you're close before I saw this movie. The new Guillermo del Toro movie with Bradley Cooper, Nightmare Alley. It's not Nightmare Alley. So I will give you your last film and then I will do a recap. So this is Mm. a film that we released at festivals in 2021, but in widely in 2022. The seven films are It, Oculus, Doctor Sleep, The Ring, The Haunting of Hill House, The Prodigy, and Hereditary. Halloween Ends? No. 
That's not even out yet. And it's not Halloween oh, whichever Kills was, Whichever was it's the not last Hall- one. It's not Halloween was. Kills. And that's not on top 20 book. All right. So you missed it. Okay. I will say, I will first tell you the movie I removed and see if that gets you to, even though it still won't count. But I had to remove Sinister. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know what it yeah. was. It was it's, malignant. No, it's not. Sinister is directed by Scott Derrickson, not James Wan. And it is The Black Phone. The Ethan Hawke horror movie that's currently in theaters. Oh, wow. I really confused them. It is them based because... off a short story by Stephen King's son. So there is actually a Stephen King connection. Oh. And it does feel very Stephen King. Should I watch The Black Phone? I, I never really... Like I wasn't a fan. <laughs> yeah, I didn't... My game time. Game of lists. I look up a list of movies on the internet and then I ask Danny questions about it. So this week we're talking about the Toy Story treats, which are little interstitials that played um, between shows on ABC Saturday mornings in like the late 90s. Okay. So I wanted to talk about other short movies and I wanted to quiz Danny on his Oscar knowledge. Oh, so God. we are going to be talking about the shortest movies to win Best Picture. Oh, okay. So some of these are probably movies I've talked on. Well, talked vaguely about on Snub Club because I presume a lot of them are early films. Let me start with that then because it's actually, I'm diving into a few lists. I was curious about the ones that won and the ones that were nominated. So we'll start with probably the hardest question. What is the shortest movie ever nominated for Best Picture? And I'll give you the year. It's 1934. Is that a movie I'd actually know? <laughs> well, it was whenever you talked about... Um, I mean, it was the year that you did A Fugitive from a Chang Gang or The Private Life of Henry VIII. I did neither of those films for the Snub Club. This what is year the cavalcade is year. 34? All right, I'm, just so, I'm not cheating. I'm just looking at my Snub Club list to see what the Snub Club movie was that year. Maybe it'll be really short. No, it's not. That's the, that's the year of uh, The Thin Man and Affairs of Cellini. And uh, for Snub Club. Oh, so it wasn't even nominated for Best Picture because that's that's the list that I'm looking at. I don't know. No idea. <laughs> I have no clue. All right. Well, I wa- I wondered if it would show up on like a trivia page or something. But the answer is she done him wrong at I 65 minutes. <laughs> yes. A seductive saloon singer falls in love with an undercover federal agent while trying to appease her violent ex-boyfriend. And I, this is, I'm getting these lists from Gold Derby, that website. Not to Gold plug Derby. them if they're evil. Well, apparently they're not evil, but I'm just trying to cite my sources. Well, they, they can be kind of toxic at points, but they're fun toxic, you know? <laughs> All right, so like, let's go catty, back to the actual... <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the actual list of winners of Best Picture. Okay. Can you name... in the, So this is a top ten list. Can you name the oldest... And the most recent films that were short in top 10 and one best picture. Well, let's try newest first, because I can work my way back. Coda is probably about 100 minutes. I think Nomadland's longer. I think Parasite's longer. I feel like Green Book is longer too, even though it should be shorter. Shape of Water, I feel like hits the two-hour mark. 2016 is Moonlight, which feels at the most 100, at the least 100 minutes too. The, the Artist will be my I'll guess for the recent I'll, ones. Is The Artist the recent one? The Artist is the recent one. 2012, yeah. that is 100 minutes. Let me look at Coda real quick, because if you think... It's actually... The, these are much more in the 100-minute range than I thought they would be. Let me see what the Coda runtime was for my own interest here 
Can I click? This is gonna link? drive me insane because my guess, my go-to guess for the old one would have been High Noon, but I know on our podcast we actually covered that High Noon controversially did not win Best Picture. It was a mm-hmm. thing that people weren't mad about. Because I know Coda was 111 short. minutes. Okay. And this, the earliest film, is one that you have definitely mentioned on Stump Club. Is it? It happened one night. No. Okay. Well, I think that's on the list though. I'll tell you what, it happened one night is on the list. It's actually it's actually ten on the list, but it's not it's not the oldest film in the top All ten. Right. My last guess will be Little Women. The Audrey Hepburn. Little Women, no. The answer not is Catherine Hepburn. I need to have that for my critic. Like I need to say Catherine Hepburn so some people not not stupid. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> no, no, no. The oldest the oldest one on the list is the Broadway Melody, nineteen thirty oh, at a hundred minutes. That checks out, but I also always forget that movie exists. So Yes. Right. Um okay, so last question. What is the shortest movie to have won Best Picture? Well, did you say the shortest was 100 minutes, and you said the artist was 100 minutes? No, no, no. It's below 100 minutes. The, the average on these is, like, 100 minutes. That's what I'm saying. Like, that one that was nominated is, like, 65, and I Can thought I some decade? of these were going to be down by 80. Can I have a 80. decade? Unless, or at least a 20-year yep, span. Fif- 50s? 50s. Yeah. And it's a movie I'd know. Well, you might know it. It's definitely, like, if you follow the film, the film bro trail, you might come across it but i actually hadn't seen it until it shame i don't know if shame won this picture is it shame shame yeah the film oh, that shame. They to logan a lot <laughs> it's not it's not shame do you want to try one more time or just i'll give it to you it's in the 1950s and i know it's not high noon because that didn't win harvey that's uh a close guess but wrong okay so I the answer know. the answer is marty at ninety Dang. minutes, <laughs> I feel like I was yeah. thinking. I feel like those movies are just because co- I haven't seen them. They they just occupy the same headspace. Is Marty the one that won the Palm? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Palm door? Then that's I mixed them up. But I also it's yeah. fair for me. To, you can't give it to me because I know Harvey's the one about the rabbit. So <laughs> yeah, let me. I know Marty double check because I. I think Marty was one of those things that was like originally television. So maybe this has something to do with it. The screenplay was written by Patty Chevsky, expanding upon his 1953 teleplay of the same name, which was broadcast on the Philco Goodyear Television Playhouse and starred Rod Steiger. So I wonder if that has something to do with the runtime, because if you watch Marty, it is very much like a play, and sometimes they go outside. So if it was like a televised play, I can definitely see it being like shorter, and then it got made into a movie that did really well. All right. Uh, this week, we watched the Toy Story Treats. Danny, do you want to talk a little bit about what those are? Yeah, so the Toy Story Treats are little interstitials. I don't think that's how you say it, but it's always good to pronounce it doing it. That would air during it's commercial close. breaks. It's interstitials. Yeah, well, I'm not going to say that. Uh, okay. <laughs> they aired on commercial breaks on ABC's one Saturday morning, and they would just air during the commercials to presumably market the Toy Story home video release, but also I think it was just there to be like, Oh, let's, like, keep these characters in the public conscious because we're working on Toy Story 2 for 1998 to be released direct-to-video. That'll be good. We should also just mention that we found all of these on what looks like a DVD featurette that was uploaded to YouTube. You watch them that way. They are on, if you have the official Blu-ray release of Toy Story, they're as a bonus feature on them. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) anyway, there, there are 52 of these. And then there are actually a few more because they do one with the little army soldiers, but 
I don't know why it's numbered the way it is, but I guess they just replaced the dialogue or something and yeah. just kept the same footage for the army soldier one. Uh, let's cut to the chase on these. I think some of these, I just feel like, well, they're very clearly not canon, but also some of these just go so, like, immediately surreal to me. I thought I was going insane watching them. Particularly, I think about the dream sequences one. Woody's having a dream oh, yeah. and, like... All of a sudden, Buzz is just literally a bug that's landing on him. Uh, or I think about the one that, I don't know if in the YouTube video it's like that, but on the DVD feature, it's like Rex is in line to like just jump on a jack-in-the-box of a bunch of aliens. But it like repeats it seven times with different lines for Rex. Every time it repeated, I just thought I was going insane. I just think they're interesting. <laughs> they're definitely interesting things, you know? Yeah, and I think they're what Luxo Jr. and Sesame Street maybe not wanted to be, but what I wanted it to be. They're much more solid, contained gags in, like, 20 seconds. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing, unlike Sesame yeah, Street, I where it's clearly trying to so, educate. These are, like, just fun gags. Well, I actually do think there's a little bit of an ed education. And it seems like such an obvious thing that you could put on Sesame Street, like, where the LGMs go, and they're like, Jax, Ball... And then they find Woody, but they don't, so like, cool. react to him, and then they go back to the ball. I just, like, like also they're just the, naming things. The characterization of Woody in these shorts is uh, very much like he's a useless person that no one respects. And I kind of like that. Like, he gets no respect at all in any of these shorts. Well, I think that's partly because Woody does not have much dialogue because they don't have Tom Hanks. So I they think don't have like they don't have uh, Tim Allen either. Actually, like Tim Allen's well, probably yeah. not there. I think that Buzz is a little more successful at being Tim Allen. Something that stood out to me is that this is kind of like just a Wallace Shawn show. If you watch all 15 minutes all at the same time, it's just like how many situations can Wallace Shawn be in as Rex? And I thought that was kind of funny. And I imagine I imagine that was fun to record if he's there just like making up things to say in a line or talking about dinosaurs. That's another way and it was educational. He actually talks about dinosaur facts in like three of these. Yeah, I thought the uh, one where he talks about if it's hot or cold blood, it was funny. Just because I feel like the idea of that being something to be concerned about is amusing. Whereas now it's always been in my life. It's always like the feather debate. Which isn't really a debate anymore, but you know what I mean. Like, it's always like, dude, these dinosaurs... I feel like that would, yeah. like, give Rex more anxiety anyway. Of, <laughs> like, if he had feathers or not. <laughs> yeah. I also... So, you can kind of tell if you're listening to this. There are a lot of, like, mini-plots that connect a bunch of these. So, every group of, like, three or four is kind of following the same pattern, or it's, like, the same It's very much situation. like, these would air, I would have to imagine, during one episode of, like, whatever show was on ABC, you know? That'd be my assumption. Well, maybe when I was watching cartoons Saturday mornings, I remember things like this, and it always felt special to catch like every one because yeah. I remember not seeing them all in order so it was kind of like you had to watch for a long time to catch everything so I can totally imagine that like not being you wouldn't get the rare you know Rex in line says this clip every time you'd kind of have to wait and see or it would only be whispered about among the your friends or something like that is that why we don't have uh, all these uh green army man chants that we we should be like sh cherishing I don't know why they're not included. They're included on the fandom wiki, see, but they're I'm all on just the wiki. rhymes. Yeah, they're all just rhymes about, right. we'll be right back, don't change the channel. 
What is your favorite of these? What is your absolute favorite? My favorite one? of these? Because I know what mine is. Let me see if say what yours is, because I don't. Maybe I wrote one down. It's uh, oh, I def one? okay. I definitely have like like one and then a close second. I don't know how your package because I didn't watch your packaging. I watched the one that was on the Blu-ray, which doesn't have the intro by Lassiter and Stanton. Uh, although, actually, I'm glad I went back to watch that because that gives that way more context than mm -hmm. what these just being on the DVD do. Uh, the Blu-ray do. Um, but it's like the fourth one on this packaging. RC drives by and Woody blocks him with a block. And he says, roadblock. And then there's a rim shot. Woody and Buzz stare directly at the camera. And the audience applause. And it's like, ah, womp, womp, womp. Like, they put their hands up, like, to pose. And then he was like, oh, okay, these are going to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, very dumb puns, but weird. That's actually how mine ended. Oh. That was the very last one, which I think was appropriate. And that is actually my honorable mention. My number one favorite is the one where... They're like sitting in front of the television and the LGMs are watching something and then Woody tries to change it or, or something like that and then he changes they're like, No, 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 no. And then they go back to watching TV and then one of the one of them says, That Urkel slays me. <laughs> maybe we'll get into like maybe we'll unearth some memory of ours, but I do think this is gonna be more like let's talk about try to talk about these individually and see what we can say about them. One of them that stood out to me was I think the there's new a lot here. Yeah, well, no, yeah, I agree. Well, there was the new and improved Buzz one, which to me felt like, oh, that could have been like the plot of Toy Story 2 right there. You know, like it feels like the inklings of, oh, yeah, why don't we have Buzz meet another Buzz in Toy Story 2? Because that's like Buzz is watching TV and they have these commercials for all these new Buzz variant toys that Woody's like, there's always mm -hmm. something to be said for the original. And then Ham goes, that's Yard Sale. <laughs> Which, again, also feels like it's setting up Toy Story 2 in the art sale, in a way. And I actually kind of yeah, that's like the that's one... That's another... I, well, I was going to say, like, I feel like Buzz's characterization in these will, like, change up in short as, oh, this is him during Toy Story 1, or this is him after Toy Story 1. But, like, I yeah. think it's interesting how, like, there is no... I mean, again, it's because there's no real order to these other than how they're packaged. We don't know the order these were put out, but, like... They are designed to be like, yeah, you just caught 10 seconds of it. So there you go. Next. Moving on. You briefly mentioned another thing that's a kind of running joke that I really like. That is, Ham is always, like, so mean to the other characters. <laughs> it's, I feel like, like it's just like going to get Don Rickles. <laughs> it feels like, oh, we're going to get Don Rickles. We'll have Ham be the jerk then. Maybe. Yeah, I think that'd be something that maybe Don Rickles would do. But, like, when uh, Rex is explaining, like, the history of the dinosaurs... And then he gets to the meteor, and then Ham is just like, ah, kaboom! And that's the end. And that's like a running gag, too, because there's the one where they watch the TV, and he's like, a dinosaur documentary! And he's like, and there's the meteor! Yeah. And Rex looks so dejected. It does remind me of watching cartoons growing up on Saturday mornings, and it's kind of making me think how many of these you'd actually see every morning. So if you wake up at, like, 2 a.m., and then you watch television until noon. That is 10 hours with two 30-minute shows every hour. So you're at 20 shows. And then each of those shows has three commercial breaks, roughly. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, there's one before and then one in the middle and then one in the end. And that's kind of conservative, actually, because there might be, like, four. Because you, you would divide it into three acts. So let's actually just say, like, four. And then you'd, uh, let me see, so 20 times I mean, I four is 80. You like, maybe there's one of these in each bumper, because they still want to sell ad spots, you know? And then maybe, of course, the Green Army ones, where it's like, we'll be back right back, you know, that one will always play a variation of it, because... 
Well, I don't know if cartoons were different like way back when, not way back when, but like maybe four years before I started watching cartoons Saturday mornings. You'd have to, you might play like, if there's a bumper, every time there needs to be a bumper, there might be like 60 to 80 bumpers, which is crazy. But then again, if it's ABC, Disney, they might have had like Disney bumpers as well. So that's how you'd spread it all out and you wouldn't be playing every single one every Saturday morning. I feel like as a kid, I think you might be in the same situation as me where I didn't have cable probably until I was in middle school. So these Saturday morning cartoons were like how I watched any cartoon. And I feel like we will definitely talk about ABC's one Saturday morning lineup again when we talk about the Buzz Lightyear movie. Because I watched most of that show on one Saturday morning. It's more exciting. The bumpers that were always exciting are the ones that don't really... I don't think they actually are in the Saturday morning Cartoon. I'm just talking about not cartoon bumpers in general. I think about the Cartoon Network ones I see where it's like, oh, Dexter's talking to the Powerpuff Girls, and it's like, oh, it's a crossover for a second, you know? Stuff like this where it's like, more time with the Toy Story gang is like, that's fun, but like, it's not like, what if Toy Story was talking to uh, Scrooge McDuck? I know that wouldn't happen, but like... They, they, no. they don't really have the world in the background to do all of that. I remember ABC Kids was their lineup, I think, after one Saturday morning, where, like, the conceit was is that all these people were at, like, a sports game. And so they'd be, like, dancing, like, during the commercial break, like, all right, time out. And then it'd be, like, the characters are, like, you know, just there. And then the weird thing would be, like, you know, because That's So Raven and Lizzie McGuire were also on. There'd be, like, the live-action characters alongside, say, like, Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> But Man, yeah. I tell you what, this is actually, like, making me want bumpers again. Like, if I'm watching some show on Hulu, and I have to sit through those annoying Hulu commercials, I'd yeah, like for like, there to be, like, I could yeah, see, like, we're what, gonna come what, right back! Like, the What We Do in the Shadows vampires being like, what is a commercial break? <laughs> we do, why don't mm-hmm. you pay for ads? Like, just do dumb things like that. And, like, if, like, older shows had bumpers that were just really, like, advertising saying you should pay more so you don't have to watch these dumb commercials i'd like them <laughs> you know i'd be like oh yeah it's funny like i feel like the idea of the bumper though is just gone because i feel like well television is dying anyway you know i don't really know most most kids i know don't even watch tv they watch like oh i'm gonna put coco melon on on netflix do ads even exist anymore and i feel like also if you watch like say Danny Phantom, for example, because I know that was on Hulu for a bit. I don't know if it still is. <laughs> you know why I watched Danny Phantom, right? This is back in college. You remember why I watched the Danny Phantom episode? It was really stupid. I don't think I remember that. Anyway, so this was in uh, April 2018. I was watching this episode because it's Freak Show, the clown, alien, not alien. <laughs> and he's not a ghost diver. He's just a clown, uh, has discovered this ancient ghost relic that if he gets the three reality jewels for or will allow him to control all reality. So naturally, I watched this right before Avengers Infinity War came out. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, I want to see how Danny Phantom did this story. And it was really bad. But my point here is that when you watched that, when I remember when I watched that, and maybe it's because their algorithm knows that I am not a child watching this. They know I am an adult watching this. I did not get kid ads. I got just, like, normal adult ads. And it's like, this is really weird to be watching Danny Phantom and, like, be jumping to, like, this ad for insurance. But granted, now that I think about it, when you watch Nickelodeon growing up, a lot of the ads are for insurance anyway. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of ads where it's like, 
have you or a loved one like been, had been uh, screwed over by an employer? That's... Well, lucky for you, you can call Saul or whatever. I don't know. I don't watch Better Call Saul. It is a it is a good question. Like, why do we all know about the mesothelioma commercials? Like, there's none of us of, are like, watching TV now. It's very. Uh, I think the idea. I think commercials in general are just fascinating. Looking back at them, there. It's weird to say that because I'm sure if like. My dad, you know, around like the 60s and 70s, the idea of referring to commercials as a phenomenon is stupid because it's like it's always has been and it will remain to be the main thing for 30 years from then. But now we're kind of like reaching the point where people like very purposely pay to avoid ads. So it's like whenever I'm like in a hotel room, like as I will say next week on this podcast, uh, I watched The Phantom Menace in a hotel room. And it was so weird to like watch five minutes of the movie and it cuts to commercial and then watch another five minutes of the movie and it goes to commercial. And it's like, wow, how do we ever watch movies like this? I will say that I listen to some podcasters and some YouTubers who make their commercials fun. I wish yes, that man. more commercials were like the Geico commercials because I, I don't know how other people feel, but really I don't want a commercial to like tell me anything about the product. I don't care about your lies. Like I just want a joke. And if you want to throw the name Geico on at the end of it, cool but you're not going to be like these fun characters are going to tell you all about getting 50 percent off on your thing or whatever and it's like uh, just i don't care now i'm thinking because you mentioned podcasts is like what if instead of now what if we eventually get to a world where like technology evolves to the point where like we could watch toy story on tv and there's like this very cheap animation of like during the movie woody and buzz just stop and go like hey this is time for the ad break <laughs> so if you want to rustle up some goodies why don't you go to mcdonald's where they have the new yeehaw burger and B buzz would just be like but woody i only do space ranger stuff and then he'd be like well don't worry we have szechuan sauce from the hit show Rick and Morty, which sometimes takes place in space. I love that idea, and I bet it's a Futurama joke. <laughs> it probably is, honestly. I wonder if Futurama would be down to do that, too. Like, Futurama reruns just cut to, like, Fry being like, Oh, I'm so hungry. And then Zoe Bug's like, Why don't you get some fries, Fry, from McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because it kind of is what the commercials do already. They'll have like some like the Rick and Morty celebrity... Pringles commercial. Oh, Rick I don't know about Pringles that. Com... Oh, it was just like this bizarre commercial for Pringles that was with Rick and Morty, and it just felt weird. Like how when Rick and Morty showed up in Space Jam Two, I feel like Space Jam Two feels like a network bumper of the movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, like if you just chopped that movie up into bits and like aired it in commercial breaks on Cartoon Network, I'd be like, yeah, sure, like that makes sense. There is one of these where there is a, ha speaking of McDonald's, a Happy Meal toy where a mini buzz comes out, which I think is, that's foreshadowing because I don't know if you know this, but there is a, there's a point after oh, yeah. Toy Story 3 where they put out three Toy Story shorts and two Toy Story, like, that are actually like fully animated by Pixar to be attached to like other Disney movies and then two Toy Story Christmas specials. And one of them is about Buzz being kidnapped by a Buzz Happy Meal toy. Um, and I was like, that's so weird that this is here. Cool. But the, the weirder thing is to me is that it escalates. And when I presume after at the next commercial break, for some reason, there are Woody, Ham, and Rex Avenue toys, which got me thinking, and this is a good time for me to put this, because I feel like when we talk about Toy Story 2, uh, our guests would be annoyed that I would waste time to talk about this. 
but I had this epiphany earlier this week about <laughs> Toy Story, okay? It blew my mind, because I got to assume that since all toys are here, they are Toy Story toys, because this exists in a non-canon universe where I guess Woody went to, Andy went to go get Happy Meals during the release of Toy Story, not realizing Toy Story was about his own toys, and he brought home Happy Meals toys of the Toy Story toys. But anyway, I'm not going to bother logicing mm-hmm. out that. That's too confusing to me. So, in Toy Story, Buzz wakes up and he thinks he's the real space ranger we talked about that in our toy story episode and he probably had this huge existential mm-hmm. crisis over like oh my god the adventures of light year 2022 just happened to me and now i am a toy but at the end of toy story he is fine he understands that he's andy's toy and now he knows he's a toy so my point here is i saw this kid at work not a kid i work with just a kid at the pool playing with this Woody toy along with like a Mickey Mouse toy, a Luca toy, a bunch of other toys. I had this thought where that if in our world, if toys came to life, the only toys that would wake up knowing they are toys are toys like Woody and Buzz because they'd think they're the Woody and Buzz from the movie. So they'd be like, where'd Andy go? But beyond that, they'd already know they're a toy. I feel like this is a major epiphany that it took me 27 years to come up with. But you don't think there would be like, you know, a Lego Darth Vader that knows it's from the Lego movie versus a Lego Darth Vader that knows it's from Star Wars? I mean, I suppose the Lego movie toys uh, do its own thing. But the thing is, I don't... Maybe we'll have to keep it... I think Toy Story 3 might have Legos. But I feel like trying to apply Legos to Toy Story kind of immediately gets kind of messed up. Because it's like, well, like, Lego movie is its own thing where toys come to life. And then... Like, if we switch heads on Legos, what happens to the Legos in the Toy Story rules? I wasn't even trying to think about that, you know? But, yeah, I guess Legos would know, too. But I think it's more interesting to think, like, of that group of toys I saw, where it was, like, a Luca toy, a Toy Story toy, a Woody toy, a Mickey Mouse toy. Of those, the only one that would know it's a toy is Woody. Also, can I... Side rant. I saw this kid's Luca toy, and I was really bothered by it. Because it clearly is a water toy, right? Because we're at the pool. And he's getting it wet, and it's staying a human it doesn't change color or anything i'm just bothered by the fact that there is a human luca water toy instead of a sea monster luca water toy because why would you ever want to put a human luca in the water and have it stay human that defeats the entire point of the toy i feel like there's an entire toy story movie there and the plot of luca being like why why can't i be a sea monster and i'm in the water Maybe. Maybe there is a Toy Story 5 out there somewhere. Haven't I pitched my Toy Story 5 I didn't 5 realize the there were so many questions about this world that needed to be answered. Have I not pitched my Toy Story 5 on this podcast? I think, I think so. About Forky? Yeah, I think I have. He's a Forky. Oh, about Forky? I don't know. Oh, okay. He's, well, he, like, teaches other people something? Okay. So, when we saw Toy Story 4 at work, all right, one of our kids the next day came in with a Forky they made at home. So, it's like, oh, that's cute. Whatever. But then the next day... They come back with a Forky that they bought from the Disney store, like an official Forky. So my plot for Toy Story 5 is about the original Forky, which this kid threw out that they made, coming back being mad that it got thrown out. Because <laughs> it had a bizarrely standard market Forky toy, which should not exist. <laughs> but it does because of capitalism. And it's about the act, the Forky that is actually homemade getting mad. I think the idea of a Toy Story 5 is just funny anyway, because, like, I feel like you, at this point you just gotta, like, make it be about different toys. Have it be Toy Story colon a new class or something like that. Yeah, I mean, they're surprisingly self-contained. Star Trek had a bunch of movies that were all 
pretty, I mean, there are like better ones and worse ones, but they're all kind of the same deal. And I can see Toy Story being like that, where everything has to kind of stand alone, but you could have maybe like two movies where there's kind of an overarching thing or something like that. Should we, should we call it? Yeah. What are we doing next time? Well, next time, as we've already referred to... What are we to doing few, next time? As we've already referred to a couple times this episode, we've already recorded the next episode, which will be fun, because I can brag about that now, because next week when you guys listen to this, you'll be like, ah, oh, those guys have no idea what's coming with those Toy Story shorts. <laughs> you know? So, but anyway, next week we are, we have an episode ready for you guys already about a little movie called A Bug's Life. Um, we have a very special guest. Tori Estes on to talk about them. The movie with us. It's a big conversation that I don't really want to get into now because I don't want to actually spoil any of the episode. Ooh. Should we have a bumper next time on Looking for the Ocean? I don't know. Don't touch that dial. Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar podcast, is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original logo was designed by Sarah Knopf. And you can find us at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean a Pixar journey. You can find us on Twitter at Pixar journey and on Instagram at looking for the ocean pod. You can also email us at looking for the ocean Pixar at gmail.com. If you want to know what I'm up to, everything is available on my website, markyoungperformer.com. You can listen to my other two podcasts, Wise with Ty and Dan and The Snub Club, wherever you can find your podcasts. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Blank Mints for all my takes on all of the movies. We'll see you next time. See you next time.